sharing from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning and uh, hopefully 13 tonight as well. Um, it, it'd be nice if you considered all the messages connected in the scriptures, but sometimes they're two put together that are really codependent on one another. So if you're able to come back and join us tonight, uh, I want to follow up on what we shared this morning. Uh, that song, by the way, is always... Uh, a little bit sad for me and a little bit encouraging as well. Uh, if you've been a Christian very long and have gone through some trials, uh, one of the things you realize is that uh, the trial itself as James was sharing, and part of the reason I think he said count it all joy is through the trial, um, God is exposing self-reliance. And, and sometimes the heaviness of the trial pushes us at the point to where that song is reflective of of something that we would confess. Um, realizing that I have no strength in and of myself uh, to be sustained here, and so I'm dependent upon you, and though you slay me, yet shall I serve you, yet shall I uh, follow you. Uh, that's, a, that's a hard place to be. It's sad because I know, I know somewhat what it feels like to come to that place and feel that utterly hopeless in and of ourselves, but also know the great, the great sanctifying effect that has of realizing uh, that we have a faithful God. And so I always appreciate that song and uh, kind of always gets me emotional as well. Uh, I'm leapfrogging today somewhat into 1 Corinthians out of the book of James. The last message I shared and the last point I shared on Sunday night was uh, the idea of, of being the church. And James uh, really laying that out. Uh, and so I've been thinking about that all week as I was up to my neck in carpenter ants. Uh, I appreciate your prayers as I try to extinguish those, uh, those devils. Uh, uh, they're quite, uh, I had quite the, the ministry by the ants because I noticed something that they're very industrious and everyone perfectly fulfills their roles. Uh, the males and the queens are all both winged and then the workers are all unwinged but they're big black ants and all they do is bore holes in your woodwork. And they prepare for the larvae that'll be laid there and they care for that and the, the females and the males with wings fly out and establish new colonies. So I have a colony at our house. Uh, thanks to brother Darren, I'm taking care of them though. Uh, I sprayed some stuff in there and they're coming out, but I was kind of struck as I was thinking about the message in the church and how it functions uh, and watching those ants. Uh, apparently when they were dying inside, they were decapacitating or decapitating the, 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 the casualties and bringing them to the exit of the nest and throwing them out with the sawdust. They were in the way. Uh, but every ant was fulfilling his purpose and they're following those little pheromone trails back and forth to each hole and, and they literally have a pile of sawdust there that they're cutting away. Uh, I even thought of the providence of God, but I could identify where they were in our house because I'm, I've been a carpenter and I know what color sawdust is according to what kind of wood you're sawing. And it went from white to pine to a darker color, which was the plywood, so it helped me identify, but I was, I was just struck by how those ants were cooperating together. And it struck me as different from the church in that they're oblivious uh, to what the others are doing. 
the workers are just doing what workers do. They drill holes and they're robotic into what they're doing. And, and the, the, the soldier ants or the, the males with the wings, they're establishing colonies. They do what they do. The queens are laying the eggs. They do what they do. And each is somewhat oblivious to whether or not the others are doing it. But if they don't do that, none of them survive. And I thought how different the church is because every believer is exercising a gift in a certain way, but the glory of it is that they are aware of it. They're not just robotic. That God has designed and ordained and put the church together in such a way to make them interdependent and codependent, and his glory is manifest uh, in that which is why I entitled the message this morning regarding the church is constituted for glory. And I was really struck from chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. So I want to read these verses. Uh, I want to read all these. We may run through those very quickly because I'm coming at a different direction this morning. Uh, most of the time when we talk about spiritual gifts, uh, everybody wants to know what mine is. And we go to great lengths. We publish spiritual gift surveys. We've got some in the office back there that we've actually done that here, trying to help people discern what's my gift. I counted this week a list ranging anywhere from six spiritual gifts, seven, uh, the Catholic Church uses a seven, uh, all the way up to 21 spiritual gifts. Uh, so, so there's a lot of emphasis on what's my spiritual gift? Uh, how's it exercised? How can I identify it? All those things. Well, I'm coming at a very different point this morning. I want to look and focus particularly on the dynamics of how those are in operation and what God is doing in that as well. So pay particular attention to the text in that regard this morning. It begins in verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Spirit of, of the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gift, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries, and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles, and to another, prophecy, and to another, distinguishing of spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ." For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, is it not, a part, is it not for this reason any the less a part of the body? And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, or I'm not a, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? 
If the whole were a hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable. Whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may, this is important, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. Are not all, all, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healing, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? but earnestly desire the greater gifts and introduction to tonight's message. And I show you a still more excellent way. Father, I thank you for your word, for the reading of the word, for the hearing of the word. Lord, I thank you for the, the glory on display in how you've put the church together in a very specific way. It is not arbitrary. It is not haphazard. There is an order to it. In fact, this is in the context of Paul putting in order the things in the Corinthian church. So it is critical to our understanding. But even more so, Father, I pray that it might be seen as necessary to the display of your glory in the way that you've constituted the church. Thank you for this great blessing. And Father, thank you for, for the evidences that you are manifesting these gifts and this unity in this body of believers. So we thank you for that great grace. Help us as we look into your word and as we think through the word by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'll just kind of move through this and uh, summarily, which is why I cover so much ground here. You could get into a dissection of what each individual gift involved and there is a place for that. And I encourage you to do some study on that as well. But I'm more uh, broad and more in summary than that. The first thing I want to mention to you this morning is, is the idea that the church is constituted under a new head. Uh, that is ultimately Christ. But it's interesting that he introduces this passage of scripture with verses 1 and 2. Or verses 1, 2, and 3. But he says concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. So in regards to spiritual gifts, there's something they might be, not be sensitive to or aware of. There's something that might have escaped them. These are believers. Uh, according to this text, these believers have been gifted individually in the very context that he's giving, but there's something they might overlook about that. So he wants to address that initially and then he builds upon that. So what is that thing? I think it is leadership. In verse 2, he says there, you know that when you were pagans. Now, he's speaking to something they have very much experience with. They lived their entire lives as pagans. 
They were led astray to the pagan idols. So they're very familiar with that. You and I are familiar with that as well. There was a time in our lives when we were following the lust of our flesh and following the, the will of our own fleshly desires. And we know exactly what it's like to be led along by a, by a spirit. Uh, we know what it's like to follow an inclination or a lust. So I think that's why he lays this out to them. They know this. These are believers. They realize now that they were once led away into stray idols. But then he says in, the, in verse 2 there at the very last phrase, after a comma there, he says, however you were led. And I think his emphasis there is the fact that you were led. You were, you, yes, you did drift away and you were led away into false idols. But the concept I want you to grasp about that is that there was a leadership involved. You were following an impulse. And he's laying that down as a principle, I think, in regards to spiritual gifts and the church and how the church operates because he goes immediately from that to verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God, being led, as it were, by the Spirit of God, says that Jesus is accursed. If you say that, you're not following, you're not being led by the Spirit of God. You're still being led by that pagan spirit, but you are still being led. It seemed to me almost uh, uh, to be able to say the inevitability is that as human beings, we are going to follow someone or something. That's a, that's a principle, a universal principle. And he's essentially laying that down to their pagan life and saying, look, when you were doing all those things, you need to understand something. You were being led. But as the church, that doesn't mean an abandonment of leadership. That means there is a change of leadership. Anyone who says that Christ is a curse, that's not a change of leadership. You're still under another leadership. However, if that man goes further, he says in verse 2, and says that Jesus is Lord, that is the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He cannot say that unless he speaks by the Holy Spirit. So I think he's establishing, beginning here, the idea of following or leadership in the church. And that transfers into this reality we know from this text and others as well that the church is, uh, head is Christ. It is not the preacher. It is not the deacons. It is not the Sunday school teachers. The ultimate head is Christ. And he's going to show how God manifests that headship through the various gifts and through the things that he gives to the church and through the ministry of the church itself. But the church is under the leadership of God, of Christ, and of the Holy Spirit. That's not to be overlooked, by the way. Because people set up religious organizations and they set themselves as leaders over it, but they're still following the fleshly impulses and, and giving them a religious connotation by maybe citing some commands or, or setting down some moral principles. But the guiding force for the unfolding of the life of that church is the desires of men. They are being led by their own fleshly desires. What distinguishes the church of Christ is that its leaders Leadership is singularly and ultimately and authoritatively God himself, Christ, as head of the church. You get that wrong and you get everything else wrong. 
You can get that wrong and say, oh, well, here's a list of gifts. I think you may have this one. I think you may have that one. And you may start exercising those gifts and trying to utilize those gifts. But if Christ is not authoritative as head over the exercise of those, it's just going to become the glory of man involved there and self-exaltation. So it's an important point to bring out in the first three verses. Having laid those principles down, he moves to verse 4 and beyond. It's interesting that I'm concentrating here on the gifts, but also the variety of those. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. He says of the same thing, ministries, same, same Lord. And of each of these, there's a tying. Uh, the Spirit, the Lord, even God, the Father, you know, the Son, the Spirit, all are involved in the, in the distribution of these gifts. But there are, the church is variously gifted. As I said, I've seen lists from seven to 21 specific gifts. I don't think those should be concluded as, as, as exhaustive. There are some that are principal. Some people categorize them under speaking gifts and service gifts. All those are warranted and I think good ways to think about these gifts, but I don't think we should view those necessarily as exclusive because he doesn't emphasize that here. His point here is that they are originating from the same spirit. There are a variety of gifts. I'll get to this later, but one of the things I think we struggle with in the church is that we, we prefer certain gifts and we, and we accumulate those to ourselves who have similar gifts or who at least are, are appreciative of those particular gifts. And what happens is we get a church that's wopsided or lopsided and lots of people that enjoy or are fed by this specific gifts. And that's a, that's a real danger in some ways. There are gifts that Paul says later on are the greater gifts that every church should be marked by these gifts and they are important to the church and to the life of the church. But that is not to exclude the importances of all the other gifts involved as well and the source of those gifts being the Spirit. There are a variety of gifts. I'll get more into this as well, but in some ways each is critical to what God has designed the church to be. The ladies sitting in the nursery right now watching over the children have a specific role in what God has designed the church to be in the manifestation of His glory. Just as significant as the man standing here speaking this morning, each in their own particular area being vessels or instruments by which the glory of God is manifest. We shouldn't minimize the giftedness and the variety of the giftedness that God gives to His church. In fact, the last thing we should do is minimize those gifts and isolate some and build a church around the exclusion of the very things that God has given to the church intentionally, by the way, as a variety. I remember seeing guys when I was at Fruitland that I just watched them and watched them operate and I thought to myself, man, that's the, that's the package right there. They got it all. Dynamic personality, charisma, the, uh, an ability to speak orally and publicly and an ability to engage people and they're very relational. Man, that's the entire package. Some church is going to be blessed to get this guy. Well, they won't be if that guy takes over the entire ministry and denies the variety of the giftedness that God has designed the church to have. 
Secondly here, not only are they variously gifted, but those gifts are variously employed. He says here, there are varieties of ministries in verse 5, and the same Lord. So the same Spirit giving the variety of gifts, and the same Lord giving the variety of ministries. That's interesting to me because the gifts here seem to be translating now into ministry. So the variety of ministries is somewhat governed by the variety of giftedness God gives the church. I mean, it, you see a, a progression. He's going to go even further now to, to say the, not only the gifts, but then the ministries, but then the effectiveness of that ministry. All these things come from God. They come from the Lord. The variety of ministries. Uh, I, this is something that churches fall into. We, we hear about a church down the street and they have a certain ministry and, and they're being blessed and there are folks coming and they're reaching folks with this ministry. And this church sitting here says, well, we ought to do that. And so we established that ministry. I remember in this church, for some reason, the faith program, you remember the evangelistic outreach program? It didn't work. We heard all these churches, man, we did the faith program, took folks to that, went out and done the visits, and man, our church grew by 50 or 20%. We had over 100 new members within a year of doing faith program. We went through that program here, we went out and done all the visits, and as far as I know, not a single person came and united with us as the body of Christ through the faith program. And I thought, and I think in, in hindsight, I think part of the reason for that and other manifestations like that is that a church sees another church using gifts and a variety of ministries and they try to uh, uh, um, uh, copy or embrace those ministries without having been yet gifted in that past capacity or having cultivated those gifts into that ministry. We're trying to do things that God has not yet equipped us to do. And I think churches get frustrated. How many people have gotten frustrated in church life because no matter what they tried to do, it just didn't work? Well, maybe it's because we are trying to do it despite God's design or trying to recreate a design of our own and sanctify it as a blessing of God. I'm thankful that this church has... For a long time, and maybe always, but certainly in my experience here, the church has always been inclined to look and see who God has added to the body, how he has gifted them to determine what ministries the Lord may be providing avenue and equipping for. We don't just run out and start up some ministry because someone else is doing the ministry. If they're doing that and God's gifted them to do that, hallelujah, that's the body of Christ at work. But in the local body of Christ, we need to be mindful of what what God has equipped us to do or else we get exhausted doing things that we're not equipped to do without effect and we exhaust ourselves. So the church is by the same spirit, variously gifted. Those gifts are variously employed, if you will, in different ministries of the church. Now, I think there are basic ministries that we ought to be doing. Every body of believers ought to be doing. We ought to be doing discipling. We ought to be worshiping. We ought to be fellowshipping. We ought to be doing evangelism to whatever degree he has gifted us to do that. And there's certain things that are just, just marks of the, what the church is doing. I'm talking about ministries, more specific uh, utilizing of those gifts. They are varied. Those gifts manifest themselves in various ministries and they don't always look the same in one community as opposed to another or even in one church as opposed to another. To be honest with you, when I hear that folks are utilizing the gifts that God has given in their church in a certain way and genuinely and authentically reaching people and not undermining the truth of God's word while they do that, 
not mere pragmatism, but a, a genuine reaching of people. I feel wonderful about that. My first instinct is not to think to myself, well, Diamond Hill ought to be doing that. I'm glad that the body of Christ is being equipped over there to do that. Some, some local bodies may be equipped to endure a very different thing. I thought about uh, our long litigation. And, and I remember someone talking about how the Lord had blessed and the Lord had grown their number and all these other things. And it occurred to me sometime after that conversation, but well, the Lord had called us to a different ministry at Diamond Hill. And what was that? To suffer. To suffer. Seven years of heartache and all the things involved. But here's the Lord was doing a different work altogether. It was a different ministry and He had gifted us uniquely to endure or to carry out this ministry of suffering and long suffering and patience and endurance. And the end result of that was that victorious in court, there were legal precedents set in the state of North Carolina as a result of those churches that go through a similar thing in the, in the future will have a legal precedent to, to encourage them to stay, stand fast upon the Word. So even though there was suffering and God equipped us uniquely to endure that suffering to provide for a ministry for the church at large throughout North Carolina. So the various, the giftedness determines the variety of the ministries and we don't know exactly what those will be. And I think we'd be wise to, to observe and to see what God is equipping us to do. And if we see those gifts in early stage, we work to cultivate those into mature spiritual spirituality, mature Christianity, and sound doctrine. And we cultivate those gifts for a ministry that may manifest itself later on when they're prepared to handle it. How many times have you noticed the giftedness in a person, but you recognize that it's immature and it's uncultivated and unrefined? You know that somewhere down the road that God will utilize them in a ministry and you recognize that my desire here is to encourage and disciple and to fan the flames of this passion that they have because God will manifest a ministry through that someday. God does this. God does this. He gives the gifts and even, and even provides for the various ministries arising out of those gifts. And this is really what struck me in verse 6. There are varieties of effects. Effects. So, so now you're talking about not only do the gifts come from Him, not only do the ministries that manifest themselves through the gifts come from Him, but the effects of those ministries and those gifts at use are according to Him as well. Man, that really, that really is sobering to me. So in other words, the effect of the ministry, whether it's effective in one way or another, I'm not talking about here success as much as I'm talking about the effect. I gave someone this morning the example of the idea that in one place, the preaching of the gospel by the, by, through the gifts and the ministries God has provided may be used by God to bring millions or, or hundreds to know Jesus Christ. He may use that evangelistically and by His Spirit call out sinners. But there may be another people preaching the same gospel with the same giftedness, with the very same ministries, and they are raising up adversaries left and right. And they are drawing all sorts of persecution to themselves well what's what makes the difference was one more gifted did they have a better ministry or did one have an inferior ministry what's the difference and Paul says here that not only the gifts but the ministries and the variety of effects are from the Lord I'll tell you how that hit me this week 
Larry, what are you called to do then? Be faithful. Be faithful. Because I don't know the effects. They come from God. He may make me effective in a single statement that pierces the heart of an unbeliever and they go share it with someone else and revival breaks out in Iredell County because of some off-the-cuff statement I said. Or I may preach my heart out and do a whole series of messages and not see a single soul come to Jesus Christ. I don't know the effects. They are various and they are ordained and worked by God himself. That's the, that's the way God has put the church together. If he told us, here's the effective method, what would we do? We'd all be doing the effective method, even if we're not gifted to do it. Even if we provide for ministries through which it's not being done. We would just all say, well, there's the effective method. If you don't believe that, just come by here and check the mail all week long. Because every time I open the mailbox, it's somebody who has the effective standard, the effective methodology to reach your community. And they just flood our mailboxes. Oh, by the way, only $99.99. They've got the effective, they got the effective means. Well, Paul tells me here, you be faithful to be a follower of Christ. You let Christ be head of his church. You let him provide the gifts. You let him manifest those in ministry. And you leave the effect of those ministries to God. For God is calling out people unto himself through various gifts, various ministries, and by various effects. I hate to think, I hate to think that I would have a ministry uh, like Isaiah in some ways. Because God essentially says, Isaiah, here's your ministry. <laughs> Go preach, and they're not going to listen to a word you say. In fact, your preaching is going to harden their hearts. That's your ministry, Isaiah. How many of you would volunteer for ministry if God said that? I'm calling you to ministry, Larry. Oh, by the way, in, in terms of the world's success, you're going to be completely ineffective in your ministry. Everything you long for them to experience in Christ, they're going to be hardened to that, and they're going to harden themselves all the way until the day of judgment. There's your ministry, Larry. Very few of us would say, I'll sign up for that, especially if it might involve getting killed for it. These things are from God. I just wanted you to notice the progression of these three. The giftedness, the employment of those gifts, and the effect of that as well. God has designed the church that way. It's His church. It is the church of Christ. He provides for the gifts. He manifests those gifts in their maturity to ministries. And He makes those ministries effective according to His own purposes. Notice in that verse, uh, verse 7 or verse 6. There are varieties of effects, but he, listen to what he says. But the same God, and this time he doesn't just say the same Spirit or the same Lord, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So the effects have to do with the working of God in the midst of all things and in all persons. The effects are God, you see. And our duty is to be faithful to the truth of God's Word and let Him use that instrument in whatsoever way He will. Should we do it with a heart longing for people to come to Jesus? Absolutely. If we love one another, if we love sinners, and if we want to see sinners come to Christ, and we want to see Christ glorified, sure, I should have a heart to preach the truth. And I hope that it would land positively on folks. But that is not the decisive factor as to whether or not I'm preaching the truth. In fact, if it is, you, you become a pragmatist, and we see a lot of that in our days. Not only are they variously gifted and employed and effective, 
But in verse 7, you see here that each of these is universally a manifestation of the Spirit. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The idea there is the gift itself is the manifestation of the Spirit. It's not some talent you have, although that's not necessarily unrelated but it is a manifestation of the Spirit. It is a gift that is given by God, which is a manifestation of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer. It is a divinely given and operated or authoritative or empowered giftedness to fulfill a distinct role in the body of Christ. Now that's why I say the nursery worker is important because if there is a, if there is a giftedness in that, then it is of the same divine source, it is of the same divine power as the one exercising a gift in the pulpit or before a microphone or in a choir loft or in a Sunday school teacher's position. It is the same God who is at work in that gift and bringing about an effect for that. And so therefore we dare not dismiss it because it seems relatively insignificant in the grand scheme of things because it is not. It is not. And I love this passage because it says it is a universally distributed among the body of Christ manifestation of the Spirit. Every believer has been given this manifestation of the Spirit in, the, in a gift. And that's where people automatically say, well, what's mine? If I could give a little bit of advice here. I remember early as a Christian, I went through this battle about what are my gifts and what are my gifts. And, and one day the Lord just kind of convicted my heart. And it's almost, uh, it's, I'm sure it was my own voice speaking to me, kind of the word of the Lord. But it was almost like, you need to stop worrying about what your gift is and do what you're able to do. If there's an opportunity to clean the toilet, do it for the glory of the Lord. If there's an opportunity to drive a bus or take the senior somewhere, do it for the glory of the Lord. Take advantage of every opportunity that you can have. Even if it makes you a little uncomfortable, just pursue Christ and pursue obedience and He will cultivate and manifest what it is that He has called you specifically to do. That ministry in which you will flourish most. By the way, let me say, if you identify your gift, the problem I have with that sometimes is you exclude everything else. Oh, I'm a gifted teacher. I don't do nursery. <laughs> I... I we exclude all these other things. You can't find your gift by doing that. You're essentially saying, God, I have a special calling and I don't have any energy to explore anything else. So if you'll just identify my special one, I'll invest all of my energy and I'll let all those other folks do that. Sometimes, God, in the providence of the church and as a matter of mercy and love for one another, we may have to do things for which we are not particularly gifted or feel particularly gifted. But it's amazing to me sometimes how when we've moved into those positions out of our comfort zone, God does cultivate a gift for that in our lives. And perhaps it was there when he called us into the body of Christ. But through the sanctification of the church, he manifested that gift and it becomes a ministry. So they are variously affected, but they are given to all of us. They are universal in the church manifestations of the Spirit of God. I can't emphasize that enough. It's not just in some inherent trait. I say that that's not unrelated because it could be that in the providence of God, He wired me and put me together. I was sharing with the kids this morning. Uh, I hated to read and I hated school in general. 
I even shared with them, parents don't get on me. I shared with them how I jumped out the window and went home and went fishing one day when the teacher had her back turned. I did not like school. I did not like reading. And at 12 years old, my dad's National Geographic caught my eye, and it was a rafting trip by these guys down the Yukon River. And I started reading that, and man, I just it just came alive. I mean, I went from my living room to that raft down the Yukon. I experienced what they were doing. And a bell came on or a light came on in my mind that words mean something. <laughs> and, and that was 12 years old. I had no idea that even then God was cultivating an interest in words which he would fulfill ultimately in the divine word. And there's no greater reality than these truths. God was already, I think, cultivating, had put me together from my mother's womb with these attributes or these characteristics that he was cultivating and, and mining. So I don't exclude that. I don't call that a spiritual gift. I call that the providence of God. But it, it multiplied or it mushroomed by the providence of God into a giftedness, if you will, or a, a particular passion for the Word of God. And through that, the ministries were manifested, teaching and preaching. So there, every one of us is given those. You can't be here today and say, well, I don't have much of a gift. I, I just come here and I enjoy the exercise of other people's gifts and I'm blessed by that, but I don't really have one. Yes, you do. Don't be preoccupied and don't be destroyed trying to find it. Just be obedient, be faithful, follow Christ, pursue Christ with all that you are, stay in his word, pray. God will manifest or he will cultivate that in you and one day you'll find yourself serving in a capacity and you'll say, how did I get here? I love this. And in many ways, you will have found God's calling in your life. And they may be multiple, by the way. You may be gifted in, in multiple areas. Some folks... I've heard people say everybody has a minimum of a one. I think you probably got more than one. You may have one that's emphasized in your life, and that's your primary devotion and where your primary passion is, but there are complementary giftedness that go along with that, such as the, 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 the gift of wisdom or the word of wisdom has to, has, has to have along with it some desire for the knowledge or the word of knowledge. So they are complementary gifts, but they are universally distributed. In chapter in verse 7 as well, God designs His church universally giving these gifts of the Spirit as a manifestation of the Spirit. But to what end? To the good, to the common good. That's a huge governor for the exercise of gifts. This is what the church is not. It is not a platform for you to display your wonderful talents. It is not that at all. I remember hearing a guy uh, talk about uh, musicians in the church and, and how he, uh, he made the kind of snide remark that a lot of them wound up on the stage because they flunked out in the pursuit of a country career or a rock and roll career. The church was just the next lower platform to display all their glorious, all their glorious talent. That is not what God designed the church to be. It is not a place for us to display or to, or to demonstrate our prowess in some particular skill set. In fact, in some ways, if you want to see the, the epitome of a, a developing skill set, go into the secular world. That's all they got. 
They pursue it with a relentless passion, the thing they do. That's why in many cases they are experts in what they do because they, they, their whole life revolves around the cultivating of that gift to exalt self even higher. Profit being made, success being had, reputation, all those things are critical in the secular world. It is not so in the church. Every, every manifestation of the Spirit given to us in the person, in the, every individual believer is given to us for the common good. If you want to know what the common good is, you can turn to Ephesians 4 and read it later. But ultimately, it is that we all grow into the fullness of the maturity and stature of Christ. The common good of everybody in this room who is a believer is that you are transferred or being cultivated and matured to the image of Christ. So that in being in the image of Christ, you will be steadfast and not tossed about by every wind of doctrine. And that you will love as Christ is loved. That's the common good. Your gift whatever it may be and however you may identify it, whether it's the nursery or the pulpit, was given for that end. None other. None other. It wasn't given so we could have a hierarchy in church. It wasn't, it wasn't given so you could gather around like-minded folks. I've heard statements and I understand what they mean and I appreciate this, but I've heard people say, well, we're a mission-minded church or, or we're a worshiping church. And I always kind of cringe a little bit when I hear that because I wonder, are you, are you gathering people around with like passions and gifts and you're built a church now that is all about missions or worship uh, music or all these other things while neglecting every other gift that God gave the church to give it balance and stability and to the common good that they be transformed to the image of Christ. Every church should be mindful of its mission. Every church should be mindful of its worship, whether or not it's honoring and glorifying to God. Every church should be mindful of discipling believers and cultivating faith and, and seeing to maturity and transformation and Christ-likeness. Every church should be mindful of those things. But God has caused the church to be mindful through the giving of these gifts and the manifestation of the Spirit. So to neglect any of those, to push any of those aside as unimportant or insignificant is to rob ourselves of the very instruments God has given to bring us to our common good. I wonder how many churches that exclude that giftedness ever think about it as, having, as being hampering or a hindrance in somehow to their church's transformation to Christ-likeness. So they are to be exercised for the common good. In verses 8 through 11, I love this section here because it's interesting because they are each distinct, but yet they are harmonious in that they are in one. Notice, count the times here. I counted nine particular individuals, the individuality of the gifts. For to one, the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another, the word of knowledge, to another, faith, to another, gifts of healing, to another, the effect of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. You read through that list and I counted nine others. To one, this one. To another, this one. The implication, saying, I know there are more, more people gifted with this than, than just those, but he seems to be drawing attention that the, to, the, the, to the distinctiveness or the individuality of the distributing of these gifts. To this one is given this. To this one is given this. To this one. And he goes through this nine. 
So there's an individuality to it. We don't lose individuality in the body of Christ. There is an individual nature to the way God is working in our lives, the way He's gifting us, the way He's cultivating that gift, the way He's sanctifying us. That is unique, by the way, to you. We can give you principles in regards to how God will do that, but God knows you more intimately than you know yourself. And He is doing that in ways that I cannot define for you. It may be a thing in my life that would be rather insignificant, but in your life, it's a huge instrument of God's sanctification. There is an individuality and a uniqueness to every member of the body of Christ. But at the same time, He says this, verse 11 but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. You see, the, you see the individuality and the unity in that single phrase? Nine different individuals He's pointing to. God gives you this, He gives you this, He gives you this. Nine times He says that. But He says in all that giving, God is doing the work involved in that giving. And God is even bringing about the effects as He said earlier. God is at work universally. So there is a oneness in that individuality in that in, through all of these things, it is the same God who is working as He wills to the end that we be transformed to the image of Christ. That's another reason why I think it's dangerous to exclude the giftedness of anyone in the church. Because you're saying that, well, no, he gives to this person, to that person, and that person, and in these he's working, but not that one. Yes, he is. To use the analogy again, he's working. The same God is at work in the heart of a nursery worker who is going through sanctification and adjusting to the needs of children and the preacher trying to find his way through the scriptures on a Sunday morning. The same God is at work. And in that working, common working, he unifies the individuals that he's working in towards the same end. The nursery worker and the preacher are being transformed to the image of Christ, the common good. That's huge. That's huge. The nursery worker is not doing that so the preacher can transform everybody. God is at work in the nursery worker and the Sunday school teacher and the, and the bus driver and all the other ministries in the church that are less prominent and less observable just as much and just as importantly as He is in the life of the one proclaiming the Word or giving or encouraging. There is a distinction, but there is a harmony in that as well. He's distributing and working as he wills. In verses 12 through 13, he gets here the idea that there is one body, which essentially is all under one head and one authority. For even as the body is one, he's speaking of the natural body, for even as the body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so also, he says, is Christ and he explains that, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. I love these analogies that he gives here. He talks about the unity and the harmony of the body. It seems ridiculous, but he says, he gives these analogies where the ear can't say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Sure you are. Sure you are. And this is where I thought about what we do sometimes in the church these days. I come into a church and I'm definitely an eye. I'm an eye. And boy, I really like the eyes. I can really relate to the eyes. In fact, I preach as an eye. 
And, and everybody that comes to hear me, all those ears and feasts, they never get me. But boy, when the eyes come here and I preach as an eye, they say, man, I really relate to you. And they join the church. And pretty soon I got a whole pew full of eyes just like me. And we really connect. And then pretty soon they start telling all the eyes they know out in the community, why don't you come to Diamond Hill? Man, we got a wonderful eye church up there. I mean, there are eyes all over the place. And they come and they say, you know what? That is a wonderful eye church. I've never felt so at home in my life. There are all kinds of eyes there. We all relate so well. And pretty soon you've got a whole church full of eyes. What you don't have is a body. And the same with ears and the same with feet. There is a codependency that God has built into the church because it takes challenge, it's challenging for the feet to think that the eyes are important and it's challenging for the eyes in their eyedness thinking that the feet are important. Each individual member of the body, because it does, is that member, thinks of itself as the priority member. And it needs the other members to remind it that it's not. And the dynamic of you accepting that as a necessary member just as you are requires divine intervention, Holy Spirit ministry. And that involves sanctification. And so I believe God has designed the church in this diverse way and distributing as He wills for the very purpose of moving us away from self-sufficiency and dependency upon our own giftedness. He makes me dependent on you as an ear or as a foot, or as an arm, or as an eye. Because if I'm a foot, I don't see very well. But if I rely on the eye, the eye can tell me where to place the foot. And so it is, the analogy continues there. Christ is the head. We are all individually members of this one body of whom Christ is the head. He governs, He makes decisions in regards to the direction and the ministry and the effectualness of that body. And every body is made up of all sorts of individual members, all with their own quirks, all with their own sanctification ongoing, all with their particular giftedness, making one another dependent upon one another and 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 causing it to be necessary that they learn to love one another with a divine love. Because it doesn't come natural to love that way. In fact, our natural inclination, if you threw us all up in a bunch and let our natures take over, we would come down perfectly organized into our interests and our likes and our personalities and characteristics. It would just be natural to us. It just comes natural. Any event you go to, you remember in school, you were gravitated towards people that had like interests and like things, and what did you do? As soon as you got with that bunch, you talked about the other group. Just don't stay around them. We'll call ourselves this. We have all kinds of clubs we would join, and we were distinguishing ourselves from, from very early on. We're putting ourselves into groups. God has said, in my body, there is one group, that's one body of which I am the head, and I'm going to distribute to them in such a way as to make them dependent upon one another and not excluding any of them because I'm one body. He says that later on in verse 25 when he talks about the presentable members in verse 24. But he gives us a reason there, verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. He has created by his design a dependency that leads us to a genuine love and care for one another and a, and a unity, and a unity. 
How often do you think about division in the church as related to the proper respect for the gifts that God has given the church? Usually disunity in the church caused by some conflict, right? We deal with a conflict. We call them for the elders and the deacons and we, we have conferences and we try to work it out and there's some conflict and maybe they go away and the conflict is over. What if the, what if the, the, the absence of division is when there's a proper respect for God's design of the church and how he's crafted it to be codependent and growing to love one another to the point that the church is more reflective of the image of Christ? What if that's the source of division? Our disregard of God's giftedness, gifting to the church and his manifestation of the spirit to the church. Something to think about. Something to think about. There's another last thing here is this code dependency, as I said, in that passage is reflecting an encouraging unity. He goes on to say, kind of in conclusion here, now you are, you, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. <laughs> I love that passage. We're not, we're not building a cult here where everybody comes along and we recite this mantra and we're all like mindless robots marching around. There are individuals involved whom God knows intimately and personally and who from the foundation of the world has called to himself and is working out his will in their lives according to his will and all that he intends and knows in regards to this person. And you put that person and this person and a hundred others like that together in a local fellowship. And that is the body of Christ. You are Chaman Diamond Hill. You are the body of Christ or a local expression of the universal body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. Individually, members of it. And that seems to carry both of those responsibilities. I'm to operate and think of myself as operating within the body of Christ, but not losing my understanding that God is working uniquely in me as an individual, gifting me certain, way, certain ways, sanctifying me in certain ways as well. God is uniquely working in your individual life in the context of your having been united to a local body of believers. That's so important. I shared recently that God does things, I'm convinced, in the church setting that he won't do anywhere else. He's ordained the church to be such as to have the instruments for what he's accomplishing in our lives. He can do that in other arenas, but I think he has exclusively talked, resigned some things to happen within the context of the body of Christ. He goes on to say, you are members of Christ's body, individually members of it. Verse 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles and second and prophets. I won't read through that whole text, but he's saying, they're not all that, are they? <laughs> they're not all apostles. They're not all prophets. They're, they're not all teachers. They're not all do healings and miracles, and do they? And I think it, I love this because he, he desires us. There, there are greater gifts in terms of their contribution to the to the communicating of the truths upon which this community lives and is built upon. Yes, earnestly desire those. Don't exclude others, but yet still earnestly desire those edifying gifts that God gives them to the church. Pray to God that he would provide the body of Christ with those gifts because they are needful and necessary. Yes, earnestly desire those. And what's so haunting to me about tonight's message is because he introduces that but says, but I'm going to show you a more excellent way. So there's something, there's something that is 
glorious even to be added to this wonderful design. There's something undergirding that. And I want to share that tonight because if that's not present, then, then the manifestation of gifts gets all sorts of messed up in the church. And we wind up with churches like so many we see in our day today where there's, a, where there's a, some faction, some entertainment value, some reduction to pragmatism, some departure from the truth and any offensive word in the word of God. There's a movement away from that and, and, a, and a desire to draw the biggest crowds that we can and build the massive campuses and, and look successful. And a lot of that's because of what's probably missing tonight. Stand with me this morning. I realize that that's very uh, broad and summarized. But really what intrigued me this week was thinking about as I was fighting carpenter ants and trying to put paint on the house is thinking about the dynamic of, of how God has put the church together and in so doing causing things to happen for his glory. The church's transformation. Father, Thank you for your word. Thank you for the local church and the church universal, certainly, but the local church, Father, where we gather together as a local expression of the body of Christ. Thank you for those whom you've added here in every gift that's represented in this room today. Lord, there is no gift insignificant or small or unimportant. Everyone is critical to what you've designed the body to be. And so, Father, help us to be faithful to exercise those gifts as we, if, if, as we have identified them. But, Father, if we've not yet identified it, help us just to be faithful to follow you, to love you, to love your word, to love your people, to be, in our, to be among your people, and to allow you to cultivate those things in us which you will provide for us a ministry at some point and a ministry of the church that would bring us to the fuller statue and measure of Christ himself. Lord, have your way in our hearts in this moment of invitation. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.